0: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good morning! yeah. It's time to wake up. <laughs> it's 5 we're live. Oh, is this thing on? I don't care. I want him to hear. This is the pre-game show. Your early morning shot of sports on 957.
1: The game. Come on. Yes, sir. Good morning, family. Steven Lightford here with you. 95-7 the game leading up until 6 o'clock as the morning roast will take you until 10. Got a lot to talk about today. Got a lot to talk about. Do want to get into that A's win over the Rangers winning 3-1. And I want to focus specifically on Chris Bassett as well as Frank Schwindel. I'm loving that name, by the way. Frank Schwindel? Such a great baseball name. So I do want to talk about the A's. Um, it's Bobby Bonilla Day, and if you don't know what Bobby Bonilla Day is, well, have you been living under a rock? <laughs> it's uh, essentially one of the worst contracts that has ever been given out by a team. It happens when you are <laughs> when you are working with a person of interest who is now in jail, and Bobby Bonilla was given one of the worst contracts in the history of sports that still takes place today. Bobby Bonilla hasn't played since 2001, so I want to go through my top 10 worst contracts in Bay Area sports history, and I'd love for you to, to weigh in on that at 888 Plus, Monty Pool. Warriors insider for NBC Sports Bay Area, he came up with a trade scenario for the Warriors. And this is the best one that I have seen yet. So I want to go into that as well today. But I do want to start off with what happened last night as the Suns have moved on to the NBA Finals. That is the
2: second stick down. The Western Conference Finals are done. The Phoenix
1: Suns, for the first time in 28 years, are going back to the NBA Finals. So, I'm happy for the Suns. You hear that at the end. You hear the call. Credit to ESPN. And I'm happy. First time in 28 years, Suns are going to the NBA Finals. That's great. But, I gotta say, I'm... At this point, with what's been going on lately the amount of publicity that chris paul's been getting for going to the nba finals <laughs> and he's, been, he's he's always on that list when you try and create you know your your top 10 players of all time who never made it to a championship or never won a championship whatever it is he'd always put charles barkley on that list and chris paul would be on that list too and we are giving him so much love. And we've been really doing this throughout the playoffs when the Suns have been on this run. But I know what happened with Patrick Beverly yesterday, and we'll get into that. But watching this play, when DeMarcus Cousins, this was with about 55 seconds left at the end of the third quarter, and DeMarcus Cousins, he, he I don't even know how to explain it, grazed his head and Chris Paul goes down flopping. Paul,
0: a little shake and bake drives past him. Left-handed layup. It's good. Gorgeous move from Paul. And then Cousins knocks into Paul. Are they going to call a foul on that? As we get under a minute remaining here in the third, the lead back up to 12. The officials tell the players to get away. Cousins just shaking his head. Well, Paul certainly looked to
1: get some contact. Cousins raised that right elbow, and Paul sold it extremely well. And you hear that at the end. Paul sold that extremely well. One thing that NBA fans across the board hate, despise, is flopping. They hate flopping. They hate when a player fakes being fouled, look no further than the Warriors in the Lakers game, when LeBron jumped in front of a screen by Juan Toscano-Anderson, or excuse me, jumped in front of a driving Juan Toscano-Anderson and ended up getting the foul called. It's just, seeing all the love for Chris Paul on social media yesterday, but also seeing him pull antics like that, it's just it's hypocritical to me of a lot of NBA fans it seems as if we've forgotten that Chris Paul has been doing this for a majority of his career and there is a shot of DeMarcus Cousins during that game where everyone is trying to play lip reader not a lot of us not a lot of us are very good at doing it <laughs> you know, I'm I'm terrible at doing it. I'm terrible at reading lips, and you know, it's I'm more of a bad lip reading type of dude. Those you know, those YouTube series that they do with the NFL where they uh, just uh, recreate scenes on the football field and they fake what they actually said. But Demarcus Cousins, someone actually spelled it out, and he essentially said, "This is why nobody wants to f with you." Chris is essentially what he said. And Chris Paul's been jumping from team to team. We have been seeing him do this for years. And look, I I, I know that whichever team he goes to, he makes it better. I respect Chris Paul's game uh, as far as what he can do offensively and on defense. But the flopping part? It just seems like we've forgotten all about it. Now, I know he had a huge game yesterday, huge game, 40-plus points. Like, you're not going to—he deserves his flowers this morning, sure. But it's just the amount of love that he's getting on there. It seems like some people have forgotten that, overall, a lot of the time he does this. He does this all the time. And that's where Patrick Beverly comes in. And it's pretty amazing watching it as a Warrior fan, because you're seeing two guys who have been an enemy to Golden State Warrior fans. Patrick Beverly, who has been known as a pest to Warrior fans, been doing it on the defensive end, and, and, you know, they've gotten respect for Beverly because they know that he does it on the court, and this is just how he plays, but... Watching him yesterday and watching him and Chris Paul go back and forth and seeing the way that it ended, Chris Paul clearly had the last laugh there when Patrick Beverly in the fourth quarter, when they were down and there was no chance that they were coming back, when Patrick Beverly pushed him from the back and pushed Chris Paul to the ground. But I thought that was just such a chump move. I thought that was a chump move. So on both sides of it, I'm like, I'm watching at the end of the third quarter. I'm sitting there going... Man, Chris Paul, what are you doing? What You seriously trying to get this guy out of the game or something? Now, they ended up giving Cousins a technical for it. But also on the other side, you had Patrick Beverly pushing Chris Paul in the back. Like, I didn't know who to feel sorry for in that situation. Because Patrick Beverly has been so annoyed by Chris Paul. Chris Paul got under his skin for a majority of this series. Or maybe, you know, maybe he tried reaching out to State Farm and it just didn't work out. I don't know. Maybe there's some off-the-court stuff going on with them. But I was just shocked at the outpouring of, uh, of love for Chris Paul when I've seen nothing but, for a majority of the time, at least this is on social media. Social media isn't necessarily real life, and I try to stay off of it for the most part whenever I'm watching a game live, just so I don't really change my opinion on what I'm actually seeing. But when I did tune in at the uh, at the end of the third quarter after that whole fiasco with cousins and Chris Paul, it was nonstop going after Chris Paul, going at Chris Paul saying what 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 a chump what a what a what a fake, what a flopper. And then at the end of the game, it's just, oh, I love Chris Paul. he deserves everything. Oh man, this guy's great. It was just, there was a lot of hypocriticism in my opinion yesterday when I was watching that game. But nevertheless, he did lead this Suns team to a victory. It's cool what he's done for Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. And when every star has been hurt and Chris Paul's the only one left standing, we are going to be focusing solely on him. Because you need some sort of storyline, right? The Bucks and the Hawks? If Trey Young doesn't play, that's going to be the storyline right there. And the fact that they're going to be without Giannis as well. Although they did get some good news uh, on Giannis. They showed uh, no structural damage to his knee, which is just shocking to me. We got that report yesterday. So they're probably hanging on to Chris Paul and just, you know, squeezing out all of the Chris Paul to the finals juice that they can get. So that they can get more NBA viewers. But I just saw that yesterday and I'm just you know I didn't really have much of a reaction at the end of the game. I said this is cool the Suds are going to the final whatever. Now they're going on to face a Hawks or a Bucks team. Um we'll see what happens with Trey Young. Not sure what's going to happen with Giannis either. The timetable for his return is still up in the air. But I just saw that yesterday. I just didn't know who to hate, whose side to be on in the end. I'm on cousin's side. I'm on cousin's side after yesterday. But nevertheless, shout-out to the Suns, first time in 28 years. There was one other uh, comment that I wanted to to focus on, and it was Paul George after the game. And I want to focus specifically on uh, Patrick Beverly pushing Chris Paul in the back with this one. But here's what Paul George had to say uh, after they lost in Game 6 to the Suns.
0: Very proud of my guys, uh, what we had to overcome. Um, Throughout the year, we had uh, injuries throughout the season, um, obviously injuries in the postseason. Um, you know, we, we found a way to fight through it, we found a way to keep going, keep playing. Um, you know, we, we just had each other's backs uh, all year, and um, you know, one of the greatest locker rooms I've been a part of.
1: And sure, Ty Lu coming in as the new head coach, changing things around. Changing the balance of power, obviously trading uh, Lou Williams had something to do with it, but putting the ball in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George's hands more than pre- more than years previous, I did think that made a difference this year for the Clippers, but. When I hear greatest locker room that he's ever been a part of and we're all together, blah blah blah, I didn't see anybody holding Patrick Beverly back when he pushed Chris Paul over. I didn't see him hold I didn't see any of the Clippers even making an attempt to hold him back. And maybe that has something to do with the locker room being together. They just said, Hey, Pat Bev, do whatever you gotta do. We lost this game. Do whatever you want. <laughs> but when I heard that, I was just like I mean, you know, sure, you guys are together, but you left Pat Bev out there on an island just doing whatever he wanted to do. I don't know what's going to happen with the Clippers going forward. I don't. I even saw a trade scenario where it was, what, James Wiseman, Andrew Wiggins, the 7th and the 14th pick, all in a package for Paul George and Avika Zubats. I saw that yesterday. It was an actual trade that I saw. I mean, who knows what's going to be happening with the Clippers going forward. But what we do know is the Suns are moving on to the finals, and there's a chance they could either play the Bucks or the Hawks, and you can imagine that the coverage around Chris Paul is going to be sky high. But I will say, though, yesterday, or at la- excuse me, last night after that game, I will say, damn, Chris Paul knows some people. <laughs> Like, he's dapping up Lil Wayne, giving him the biggest hug ever. Then he goes to the other side, goes cross-court, goes to legendary Clipper fan Billy Crystal (laughs) and gives him a hug. Says hi to whoever he was with. I believe that was with his uh, that was his wife. I was just like, damn, Chris Paul knows people. <laughs> this, this dude has been around. He knows people. Now, look, I'm sure he he's a good dude off the court. Sure, he's I'm sure he's a nice guy. But just that flopping on the court, that one with DeMarcus Cousins specifically, it irked me a little bit. It, it did. Hey, that, that's just me, though. That's just me. 888 9570 That's the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in on anything today. But coming up next, want to focus specifically on the A's as they got a 3-1 win over the Rangers with a keen eye on Chris Bassett. And not only him... But Tony Kemp as well. Tony Kemp didn't even play in this game yesterday, but there were some numbers that I read before the game that were just eye-popping. So we'll get to those next. 888-957-9570. That's the text line of the phone number. Steven Langford in on the pregame show. 95.7 The Game.
0: Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's
1: Stephen Langford. You heard the big voice, guys. Stephen Langford in with you up until 6 o'clock, as it will be Kate, Nick Friedel and Jim Cozumore in today as Bonte and Butcher Boy both have much-needed weekends off. I do want to get into the A's game last night as they got the 3-1 win over the Rangers. They won the second game of the three-game series. They're back at it uh, today. However, I do uh, want to get—I'm I, I, not going to go into much of a discussion about this, but if you are an A's fan, you know this guy. His name is Josh Donaldson. Now, what's been happening with Josh Donaldson? Well, he has been getting into a little bit of a tussle, a little bit of a tiff. Is that what you want to... Is that what, is that what we call it? A kerfuffle! <laughs> Good God. That's so bad. But he has been getting into it with Lucas Giolito. Now, we know about the banned substances. We know about the sticky stuff. So, Josh Donaldson, as the Twins are facing the White Sox, is facing Lucas Giolito, former Cy Young winner. You've probably heard of him. Great change-up. One of the best change-ups in the game, as a matter of fact. Now... Josh Donaldson hit a home run off of him, taunted him saying there's no sticky stuff, blah blah blah. Then Lucas Giolito had this to say after the game. He's a
0: f-ing pest. Uh you know, that's kind of a classless move if you're going to talk talk to my face.
1: Let me play that one more time just in case you didn't retain that. This is Lucas Giolito when he a- when asked about Josh Donaldson.
0: He's a f-ing pest. Uh You know, that's kind of a classless move. If you're going to talk, talk to my
1: face. So you got that. Then yesterday, Josh Donaldson hit yet another home run against the White Sox off of a totally different pitcher. And then he was asked about the whole situation with Lucas Giolito. And this is what Josh Donaldson said after his postgame.
2: Let's go look at his numbers. All right. Let's go look at his numbers. What do the numbers say, right? And what do we know about the sticky substance? What does it do? What does it help with? It helps with RPMs. It helps with spin rate. Well, guess what? Mr. Giolito, your fastball spin rate's down 200. Your curveball spin rate's down 400 500. Your slider's down 200. So, Look. If we're going to talk about class, are we going to? Are we, what side are you going to choose? Are you are you going to sp- uh, take the side of someone who's playing the game fair, or are you going to take the side of somebody that was probably cheating before this happened?
1: So you had that. You have him giving you all the answers, all the spin rate numbers. Him specifically knowing that the sticky stuff was making a difference for Giolito. and Giolito says. You know, let's talk face-to-face, meet me in the parking lot and say that. So this is Josh Donaldson. Apparently they did meet in the parking lot.
2: He didn't have really much to say. You know, he he said that he thought it was annoying. I said, so what? I'm on the opposing team. What do you care about me? And I said, I'm in your face. I'm telling you what I, what I think. What do you got to say about that? And he didn't have any response.
1: <laughs> oh, Josh Donaldson. The man, the gift that keeps on giving. You know, when he was with the A's before they made one of the worst trades in Bay Area sports history, when Brett Lowry ended up replacing him from the Blue Jays. But when Josh Donaldson and Manny Machado were going at it, there was no reason to watch the Orioles at the time. Maybe Chris Davis, when he was actually hitting home runs. But the Manny Machado, Josh Donaldson beef always made A's Orioles games entertaining and made them must-tune-in appointment television type of games. So now, Josh Donaldson is beefing with Lucas Giolito, and I hope at some point during this season, they match up again, and you're going to remember on this day, on July 1st, wake up, wake up, wake up, it's the first of the month, that... I talked about this, and we're going to circle back to it if Josh Donaldson and Giolito ever go again. I love it. I love it. Baseball needs more of this. And you know what else baseball needs more of? Guys like Tony Kemp. And I'll get to what that means in just a second. But I want to give a shout-out to this dude. Riddell
0: launches one down
1: the left field line. about that? Frank Schwindel just got called up from Triple A. Has only had 16 home runs, or excuse me, 16 at bats last season. And it went to replay, and then they confirmed that he got his first career home run, puts the A's up 3-0, they couldn't come back from it, he hit it 108 miles an hour off the bet, it only went 395 feet, although it went to the upper deck, so it felt like, uh, it, felt like it went a lot farther than it actually did, but Frank Schwindel is the 2,000th player in A's history. Ha, <laughs> ha, the 2,000th player in A's history to play it in A's uniform. Shout out to Frank Schwindel. He was uh, around with the Orioles organization. Then he was with uh, then he was with the Tigers, and he was brought up from AAA in Las Vegas after um, uh, the A's reinstated Gen- J.B. Wendelkin from the 10-day IL, and they optioned Machine to Las Vegas as well as Cam DeBrosian, uh, a reliever. And, and they're gonna need a reliever, in my opinion. <laughs> Hang on, really quick for the five-one-zero. Remember when you predicted the Twins would win the World Series? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I'm terrible at that. I like to go out on a limb whenever I give these World Series predictions. And uh, the Twins are still on one of the saddest streaks in sports history. They've lost, I think, 18 consecutive playoff games. They haven't even won one yet. How terrible was that? Oh, man. But this is something I'm telling you. The Giolito and Donaldson stuff, stick around for that. But Frank Schwindel... It's just, I, I personally think it's really cool when a guy of this age, he just turned 29, uh, what, on the 29th of June? So, only a few days ago. Um, so, he's around the same age as me. I just find it really cool when these guys are journeymen around the minor leagues, can't really find their footing on uh, on uh, on a major league roster, and when they finally do, they take advantage of it, and they take advantage of it in style. So, shout out to Frank Schwindel, man, and I love that name. I love, I, you know, with the raspy voice that I got right now, I'm kind of sounding like John Gruden, but Schwindel, man, I like that name, Schwindel. It sounds like it could be my right tackle you know like that it's kind of out of nowhere but um chris bassett chris bassett yet again has another great start he's won four of his last five starts and listen to these numbers in these last five starts he's only given up four hits five hits six hits Five hits and three hits. He hasn't given up more than two earned runs in these five start in these five starts, and he hasn't walked more than three guys. And his ERA right now is at uh, his ERA overall is just over three. And I'm just saying that with everything going on around the American League. Sean is up there with the stats. You know, if you're if you look at any of the any of just the raw numbers whether it's ERA or Ks per 9, hits per 9, whatever it is, Manaya is just above Bassett in every category. Right now Manaya is at a 2.91 and a 3.0 and a 3.04 for Chris Bassett. But I do think that if he keeps this up even toward the end of the season, I think that Chris Bassett is gonna be well in that AL Cy Young type of category if he keeps this type of stuff up. Cause Chris Chris Bassett, we we know how he is. He's got his first he got his first shutout earlier this year, went the full nine, and lately he's just getting nonstop, put him out there for seven innings. And I, granted, I I know you know the Rangers are not a great offensive team, and he's done this against uh, uh, the Diamondbacks, the Royals, the Yankees, and the Rangers uh, twice, as a matter of fact, in these last five games. I understand these teams aren't very good, but when hitting is down, you take advantage of it. So Chris Bassett with yet another good start, two starts in a row where he's through for seven innings, gave up five hits in his last one, gave up three hits in this one. That fastball, curveball, uh, uh, the movement on his pitches, the combination of them, uh, and when he locates it and he's on, he's on. And I think that there is a chance that he could be within that voting category toward the end of the season if he keeps this up and continues to improve. Now, the reason why I say Tony Kemp... Baseball needs more guys like Tony Kemp. The reason why I say this, and you may be wondering what the hell are you talking about, Stephen? Well, if you haven't looked, Tony Kemp right now is batting 273 with four home runs, seventeen RBIs, he's got twenty-seven runs in, he's got a eight thirty-eight OPS, not the most eye-popping power numbers of all time, but that two seventy-three sticks out. And if you look, <laughs> this is the most this is the most shocking part. If you look at the analytics, and if you hate analytics, this is going to be perfect for you. There is an analytic they use, which is just called barrel. When a batter barrels the baseball. Now, what do you need to barrel a baseball? You need to hit the ball over 98 miles an hour, and you need to hit it at a specific launch angle so you can officially say you barreled it. And this is the problem. We always talk about launch angle and exit velocity. What a lot of these guys are going for is barreling the baseball. That's what they want to do. And that's why the launch angle and the exit velocity makes such a difference. And this is why we're in the three true outcomes era of baseball. Tony Kemp, even though he has 127 batted balls this season... And he has 14 extra base hits with the four homers, eight doubles, and two triples. He hasn't even barreled a ball yet. Hasn't even barreled one. And the reason why I say we need more guys like this in baseball is because if you had more Tony Kemp's out there who could give you four home runs over uh, however many games uh, that they've played so far, if you can give them four home runs in 150 at-bats... But you can also give him a little bit of defense. And you could give him some offense. You can put some runners on base. I'm just saying, without barreling the baseball, that means he's not looking for those power numbers. That means he's looking for the base hit. And I think that baseball could use more of these type of guys. I really do. Because way too much of it is focused on trying to barrel the baseball. Trying to get it at a specific launch angle and a certain amount of exit velocity to get it to where it needs to go. Now, granted, some guys, like you can tell, um, you know, you can tell how well they're seeing the baseball um, by whether they're actually barreling up on it or not. And they have a low average. And if they're barreling up on the ball, that means they're at least getting some good contact. But with Tony Kemp, all you need to look at is the numbers 273, four home runs, 17 RBIs. I'm cool with that. If you can get on base, sign me up for that. Sign me up for that. Now he didn't start a majority of the games in the beginning of the season, um, but he has been starting as of late, and he's been taking advantage of it. And he didn't even play yesterday. I'm talking about Tony Kemp when he didn't even play yesterday. But these numbers came across my laptop before the game, and I was I was shocked. <laughs> you know, he's better than any of the other guys in baseball who haven't barreled one up yet. There's a few other guys out there, but Tony Kemp is by far the best one. I just think guys I think we need more guys like him. That's all I'm saying. All right. Triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. That is the text line and the phone number. So many ways to go here. But Monty Poole, Warriors Insider, he proposed a trade yesterday, a trade scenario. And I was a big fan of it. The trade scenario, it involved Indiana Pacers Center. Miles Turner. I'll give you the details for that next. Plus, it's Bobby Bonilla Day. That is one of the best contracts ever given for a player, but by a t- for the team, terrible contract. So I want to go through the top 10 worst contracts, in my opinion, in Bay Area sports history. We'll get to that next. Triple 957 9570. But Miles Turner, are you interested? Well, stick around and you'll hear the details. Stephen Lightford in on the pregame show, 957 the game.
0: Now back to the pregame show on 95-7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford.
1: Stephen Langford in with you on the pregame show, as the big voice guy said, up until six o'clock. So you got 21 more minutes of me. And thank you so much for sticking with me, as my voice is still sounding relatively terrible, yet it sounds oh so good. It still does. Triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. That's the text line and the phone number. So I want to go two parts here, and I want you heavily involved on the text line or on the phone number at 888 And I want you to hear this trade proposal, because here's what I went to um, in the break. I went with Monty Poole, Warriors insider for NBC Sports Bay Area. He wrote an article yesterday, and he made a proposal for a trade. And it involved Indiana Pacers center Miles Turner. And at triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero, would love to know your opinion. Would you want Miles Turner on the Warriors? Because these details, the possible pieces that could be involved in the trade, I think you'd skew toward yes. But that's my opinion at triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. And by the way, did anyone just see it yesterday? Real quick, just 30 seconds. I mean, it was going off about Shohei Ohtani hitting the three home runs in the two games at Yankee Stadium. How he was hitting the league-leading 28th home run. And the next day, he was going to not only start on the mound, but also lead off the game. Well, he did lead off the game. He ended up flying out to center. But that ended up being his only at-bat because in the bottom of the first... He didn't even get out of the inning, gave up seven earned runs, he walked four guys, gave up two hits. It was just a mess. And he also gave up a home run in that time to Phil Gosselin to put the Angels up 2-0. So they ended up scoring five after that. Just kept getting guys on base. And I gotta say, I find the psychology with athletes fascinating I, I, I really do. When it comes to the playoffs, like what was going on with Julius Randle in the New York Knicks, clearly he felt like he had some sort of pressure on his shoulders there, and it must have been the same with Otani. He must have been hearing the news, just that he is the talk of baseball right now, and what happened yesterday, he just couldn't uh, locate his pitches, but in the end, the Angels got the win 11-8 uh, over the Yankees, so... In the end, who cares, but it's just one start, but I just couldn't believe all the hype that was going after it. Then he just gives up the seven earned runs. But here's the details with that trade for Miles Turner. So his suggestion, it, it, the thing that caught me, for one, was it didn't involve Dame or Bradley Beal, Przingis, Ben Simmons, any names that have been thrown around throughout these playoffs, but Miles Turner's 25 years old. He's a 7-foot center who could contribute right away. He can give you some shot blocking, which is actually the strongest part of his game. I think he was—he only played 42 games this season, and he was leading the league in blocking until he got hurt. He was averaging 3.4 blocks per game. Look at the end of the season stats. Rudy Gobert's leading in that category, and he had 2.1. So... Miles Turner was averaging damn near two more blocks per game than Rudy Gobert was. He could shoot the three if he gets an open look. He's averaged 35% in his career. His highest in a single season was 38%. That was back in 2018. But to me, there are some big questions that surround this deal. First off, how does the money work out? Who would they have to give up? Well, Miles Turner, his contract is worth up to $17.5 million the next two seasons. They're not up to $17.5 million, excuse me. It is worth $17.5 million the next two years. So you'd be having to pay him damn near $18 million. So you think about that, That those numbers would have to add up. Would that mean Wiseman and Wiggins? No. <laughs> no, it's not going to mean those two. Those two have been thrown around in trade packages Everywhere. I mean, there was a... I'm not, I wasn't even going to get into it because there was an article written by the senior uh, writer for the big lead yesterday who came up with four different trade scenarios. And people are just throwing out names now. Just going crazy with it. But this is why Monty Pools was my favorite. Because... Would it mean Andrew Wiggins? I don't think getting rid of Andrew Wiggins for a specific superstar like Turner would be worth it at all. Plus, the money doesn't add up. Wiggins is going to be making $13, 14 more million uh, in the coming years because his number is going to increase. Even though Miles Turner is going to stay the same, so those numbers wouldn't add up. The Pacers they wouldn't take that contract with Wiggins. Not when he's worth, uh, not when he's got a max contract. Would it mean Wiseman, whose contract is worth nine and a half million next year? you'd have to add more pieces to make that work so you can, you know, possibly make it so you can add up to the sum of uh, just $8 million to add on to that. Then you could work that out. But the draft picks, if you put the 7th and 14th in there, they wouldn't add up. But here's what Monty Poole suggested, and when you look at the numbers, this could be a possibility. But he suggested Kelly Oubre in a sign-and-trade and possibly the seventh pick straight up for Miles Turner. Kelly Oubre, who's an unrestricted free agent, and the reason that these players would take a sign-and-trade because due to the CBA, since he was on the Warriors previously, they could pay him more than what another team could possibly pay him wherever he goes. The Warriors can top that number. So it works in the players' favor if he wants to make more money, but it also works in the team's favor because they could be getting a trade back in that scenario. and You could be getting a guy like Miles Turner. Personally, I love this scenario when you think about it. You keep James Wiseman. You keep Andrew Wiggins. You got the core with everyone who has made the team successful. It's not like you're having to give up a guy like JTA, Juan Toscano-Anderson, or Jordan Poole someone who could shape out that second unit. I love this. So I want to know from you at triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. That's the text line and the phone number. If you could work out a sign-and-trade with Kelly Oubre and then package that with the seventh pick, would you do it? Triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero from the 925. Only you can get them for Wiseman and 14th overall. I don't know if you'd be getting them for the 14th overall because they have the 13th pick. So they'd just be given the 13th and then the 14th. I think they want uh, that 7th to go along with their 13th pick in the draft. Uh, and, and I so I don't know if the 14th overall would be worth it, but the 7th would be a little more enticing in order for them to give up uh, Miles Turner. And, in my opinion... I mean, you're already, you know, Ubre most likely not coming back on the team because he's going to want to make more money. Who knows how he'll accept his role for an entire season. He did it well for the last quarter of it, you know, when he took the bench role. Didn't seem too thrilled with it, even though Steve Kerr was adamant about the fact that he loved that scenario and was 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 taking it as a professional should. But in my opinion, if you can keep Wiggins, Wiseman, Jordan Poole, Draymond Green, and then you add a Miles Turner who is essentially, and no disrespect to Marquise Chris, but he's a better version of what Marquise Chris is. You can give him a big body, who can clog the paint, who can also shoot the three, and can give you some rim rim protection. Now, maybe they'd want a better rebounder. Maybe they would. 'Cause you know, Miles Turner isn't as good he averages six and a half rebounds a game, which is good, but you might want him averaging a little more than that, especially with this team in their rebounding struggles. But if he can give you some if he can give you some rebounding on the offensive glass, give you some shot blocking, some rim protection I'm personally all in on this, but we are getting some questions here at the text line at 888-957-9570 from the 707. This was written down at the bottom of my list, but I'm going to get to it now. Love it. Shout out to Cold Stone Creamery. Love it, but don't think Oubre would want to go to Indy, and that is the biggest question for me. That is the biggest question. Would Kelly Oubre take the deal if he makes a few more million dollars but doesn't start? Because how it's working out with the Pacers right now, they just added Rick Carlisle as their new head coach. He came over from Dallas and, you know, he'd won a championship with them back in the Dirk days. But with how things are working out with Doncic and Porzingis, just the time had run its course in Dallas for, for Rick Car- Carlisle. You know, it, it's just at some point you gotta part ways, and clearly something wasn't working with Doncic and Porzingis and the power struggle between those two. But they feel like going into next season, and I and and I did a little digging, I did a little reading. I'm a reader, I'm a guy who reads articles. I didn't just look up the Indiana beat and control F and just search up Miles Turner to see if anyone wrote about him in any articles. No, I didn't do that. I read the entire thing. I was all through every single Indiana Pacers-type newspaper. <laughs> but I do. I will say this, though. In a lot of these articles, whenever they are talking about the future with Rick Carlisle, a lot of them, they talk about Demonte Sabonis. They talk about Malcolm Brogdon. They talk about Karis Levert. But they're a little more uncertain on the Miles Turner front. They say Miles Turner could be a contributor if he's here next season. So it's not even a guarantee he's going to be there um, or in their plans. You know Sabonis and Brogdon and Karis LeVert are, as well as TJ Warren. But that begs the question there with Kelly Oubre. Would he even want to go to this team if he's not going to be a starter? Because those four guys, the names that I mentioned right there, they're going to be taking up that starting lineup, no doubt. They're going to be taking that starting lineup. So when I saw this, I loved the deal. I I, I, I absolutely did, and I think I'm I'm glad Monty Poole decided to write something that was reasonable, because if you try and go through any trade scenarios that these other guys suggest, it's just like, I mean, what are we doing here? We're, we're, we're trading away everything. We're even trading away Steven Lightford on the pregame show from 5 to 6 on our flagship radio station. <laughs> we, we we need a new microwave. <laughs> we need a new coffee maker. We'll, we'll trade can, can you can you involve Steven Lightford for 5 to 6? Oh man. But look, I personally I would I'd think that that'd be the type of deal that they'd go for if they go for that deal at all. And from the 415 so you'd add more to the luxury tax. Not necessarily. It's not like you'd necessarily be doing that. Now, um, I mean, they could add it up and make it in a way so that you package Kelly Oubre and that seventh pick and it would equate the $17.5 million that Miles Turner would be worth. So, essentially, they could be making this move with no harm done to the luxury tax. At least, not as much as say, if you signed Kelly Oubre to a new deal. It, it, that's that's where I'm at right now. They'd be paying the same amount <laughs> from the four one five. You mean you didn't just look at the Pacers cheerleaders? You actually read the articles? I did. I did. I don't post that stuff anymore. Four one five. Come on. For the six five zero, what about Josh Richardson or Bam Adebayo? Yeah, I'd love that. Of course. Of course, I'd love Bam out of Bio on this team, but what would you have to give up? There's so much that goes into this, and everyone is going to be using the Warriors as the one team where they create these wild trade scenarios because the Warriors are that team. Although, Ethan Strauss of The Athletic, this is interesting for me. Ethan Strauss, he mentioned in an article that the Warriors, for next year's odds to win the finals, sportsbooks in Vegas have them at third. Third! And the reason why is Ethan Strauss, of course, Warriors writer, you know him, you love him, he um, talked to the leader of that sports book. he talked to the head guy, and that dude... Excuse me, let me get his name here so I can actually get this right. I totally got lost in my notes and I and, and just went back on it. Hang on. Give me give me give me one second here. Give me one second. So they are third right now. Brooklyn is first. The Lakers are second. The Warriors are third. And the guy who's the head of it, Jeff Sherman, spoke to Ethan Strauss about it, and he says essentially that I can't even get the exact quote for you. Why why is it not popping up? Why is it not popping up? (laughs) Hang on. Oh, my goodness. I totally got lost here. Essentially, I'm paraphrasing here, but what he says is they expect them to make some sort of big move at some point this year. They expect that to happen just because of all these reports. So Vegas is predicting it. <laughs> the last time I looked, whenever I looked at the Bradley Beal odds, the Warriors were right at the top, as well as the Chris porzingis odds. But I found that fascinating. I found that fascinating that right now, they're the third ranked, the, fir- the third odds-on favorite to win the finals next year just because they're expected to make a move. What does that, I mean, you know, Vegas, they can be wrong. There's no doubt about it. No doubt that Vegas can be wrong, but the bookmakers there's a reason that they do this, and they do hear they do hear rumors. They do understand that this is what could be happening. So we'll see. It yet it it remains. But when I saw Monty Pool's suggestion, I'd I I think that could work, or you could get another player in that realm. With a possible sign and trade of Kelly Oubre and then trading away that 7th pick and then keeping that 14th pick, you just have to find another team and find a way uh, that the contracts would work out. All right, before we get to the morning roast, who is going to be featuring Kate Scott, Nick Friedle, and Jim Cozumore, I do just want to get to this. It's Bobby Bonilla Day. Bobby Bonilla Day. And you may be wondering, why are we celebrating a baseball player who hasn't played... Since 2001, well, the reason that it is Bobby Bonilla Day today, it's because it marks the 10th year on July 1st in which the Mets have to pay Bobby Bonilla his annual $1.2 million. Now, the reason that this happened, because in 2000, the Mets agreed to buy out the remaining $5.9 million on Bonilla's contract. Okay, 21 years ago 21 years ago the Mets agreed to buy out a 5.9 million dollar contract and instead of paying him the 5.9 million at the time and buying him straight up and, and, and buying his contract out straight up, the Mets agreed to make annual payments of nearly 1.2 million for 25 years starting on July 1st 2011, and this included a negotiated, and this is the big one here, an 8% interest. And at the time, Mets ownership was invested in a Bernie Madoff account that promised double digit returns. Then the Mets were poised to make a significant profit if the Madoff account delivered, and we know what happened with Bernie Madoff. It did not work out. So instead of paying five damn I mean, six million let's just round it up to six million i'm tired of saying 5.9 instead of paying him six million in one season they just decided to wait 10 years later and we will give you a 1.2 million dollar just 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 cash we're just gonna give you a little bit of cash 10 years down the road and you're gonna be making that till 2035 And it marks 10 years since it first started happening. So every day on July 1st, or every year on July 1st, is Bobby Bonilla Day. And before we get to the morning roast, I'm just going to go through my 10 worst contracts in Bay Area sports history before we get to the roast. Alright. In light of Bobby Bonilla Day, number 10, I go back and forth on this. You know, I could go with possibly Mark Edward Vlasic from the Sharks who got a contract way too late. And, 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 you know, I I could go with a ton of guys. Brandon Belt with the five-year, $72 million deal. But here it is. Number 10, Barry Zito, seven years for $126 million. Sure, it worked out in the end because of how he performed in the playoffs. But in the end, seven years for $126 million. And you only got a year's worth of production out of it, two years' worth of production out of it, of solid production out of it. I know Zito didn't like the way that it panned out, but look, ultimately, that was a bad contract that was given. All right, I gotta hurry through this. Number nine on my list, wide receiver Antonio Bryant. Four years, $14 million. When he didn't do... Anything. Number eight on my list, Billy Butler. Three years, $30 million, and he just ended up making, him, turning himself into some sort of enemy in the locker room. Number seven on my list, Mark Melanson. Four years, $62 million. I don't know how Farhan Zaidi managed to work out a trade, but they managed to do so in the end. I don't even know how they did that. Number four on my list... Cornerback Nate Clements, eight years, $80 million. Whew. Oh, that's terrible. Number three, Aaron Rowan, five years, $60 million. He was getting paid just about a third of the Giants' payroll at the time. Couldn't believe that was actually a contract. Number three, or excuse me, number two on the list of worst contracts, Chris Weber, 15 years, $74 million. It was awful. I mean, you know, and they ended up trading him anyway. But that was one of the worst contracts that I'd ever seen. And then number one, Jamarcus Russell, six years, $68 million. That contract with the Raiders. We know about the stories where he would go into the meetings and fling cash everywhere. I know he would do that. And then he would get the blank tape and tell the coach, yeah, I studied film didn't happen (laughs) the coach gave him a blank tip says hey go back and study this he comes back and says yeah studied it coach know everything about it he ends up leaving it blank (laughs) all right the morning roast coming up next as i sped through that way too fast and didn't leave myself nearly enough time but the morning roast with kate scott nick friddle and jim cosemore is coming up next they're gonna be